The American experiment in self-rule is under assault by anti-democratic forces, and we can't stand idle while our republic is at stake. Let us come together and fight to keep our republic democratic and make true the long-held promise of liberty and justice for all. Citizen Do Good is excited to announce a long-awaited project, Lost Cause Watch. It's going to be a harder-hitting, direct take on what we must do as citizens to bring about the future we were promised. Everything is changed. With the persistence of authoritarian tendencies and the myths that keep us divided. Only divided shall we fail, and only together do we prevail. We'll be taking on the issues of the day and how we can take action to secure our republic for now and for generations of humanity to come, hurtling through space on a rock covered in soil. Lost Cause Watch, a new production by Citizen Do Good coming soon. Stay tuned. Okay, boss. Let's start. In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizen's Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you, thank you. I feel like I'm giving birth to a baby today. Yeah, ahead of this episode, I think we're going to have, you may have listened to an intro for an upcoming show called Lost Cause Watch. We're, we're hoping you all will stay tuned and we'll be reaching out to some of you to get some early feedback. But uh, I digress. Today, we are still working on Back to Basics and we're going to be talking about food. So we're in season two. I believe if I've got the numbering right, it's episode 30. Whenever we're off for a few weeks, I get a little rusty. Um, but yeah, back to basics, all about food. We've, we've done rewilding, water. Now we're in food. Just to preview up ahead, uh, after food, we'll have water and shelter, and then we'll be into something new. So just to kick us off here, um, usually we talk a little bit about the history of things and whatnot, right? But I don't. I, <laughs> there's no reason to talk about the history of food. It doesn't matter. It's existed, we've eaten it, and now we're here. But what really matters is what's to come next. And even before what's to come next, what are we doing today? So the first, the first topic we have under food is around healthcare. Um, and, and the idea is food as healthcare. I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad it's one of our first points, Michael, because I just recently saw a study which spoke about how the brain requires certain nutrients, certain it needs it's basically to to create complex thought and to do what it is to exist the brain actually uses 20 percent of the energy you're consuming so in that sense you have to have the right um, nutrients and, and fortification of your brain fat and if you're not eating the right things you're not getting that so we're actually not working at our peak cognitive level because of our food wow that is a great volley to kick this off. Well, it's a machine, right? We keep forgetting, like we, we all know how to maintain our cars, right? We know what we need to do to make sure the car it needs oil, it needs gas, right? But what about your brain? 
your brain is a complex system that's constantly sending you messages telling you it's hungry, but it's actually probably hungry for something very specific, but we usually misinterpret it for a buffet or McDonald's. It probably needs something a little more nutritious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the hungriest organ in the body too. I mean, I forget what the metric is, but it consumes by far the vast majority of energy. And maybe you just said that um, compared to the other organs in the body. You know, it's, it's interesting. And I think in one of our previous episodes, I might have shared information on fat. Um, there's a, it's either frontline, it's some PBS thing about fat, but it was the reason why it was fascinating. And I'm bringing it up now is because the reason why we have, we store fat the way we do is for the brain. It's because, because the brain's so hungry and energy intensive, our entire fat system is designed to store energy for lean times for the brain. And get in, and you need to take into the just remember that it is the central nervous system, it's, it's in charge, right? So it doesn't matter that your legs are taking energy, it doesn't matter that you're using energy with your hands and your fingers, every single command is routed through the brain. So it still takes the initial energy to initialize. Okay, you have to have liftoff from the brain for you to wiggle your toes. And just imagine how much you're moving your body as you sit there. Right now, I've moved my body like at least a hundred times and just in general mini motions all driven by the brain all by that and i believe it is 20 percent. please correct us but it's i think it's the largest a consumer it has a 20 percent minimum command on your nutrients and then the other major uh great point nested in that piece of wisdom you dropped on us ray is around nutrients especially the ones that we can only get from our diet I forget the number or the fraction, um, but there is a fair number of nutrients that we are wholly dependent on diet for. And without those nutrients, we, we begin to fail as an organism, as a system. It's very important. And so <clears throat> the reason why we jump on this in healthcare, it's because like everything you eat, your, your body's replacing cells constantly. It's what you eat that it's using as the raw material to replace those cells. So it's not, you know, your brain is a, is a big energy consumer. It needs specific nutrients. The rest of your body is quite similar in other ways. And so you got to think long and hard about what is the fuel? What is the raw material you're putting into your factory? It's, it's what's building your body. And if you feel sad, tired, slow, lethargic, start looking at that. Look at the diet. The diet, more and more, um, the diet is being tied to your mental health. It's being tied to your energy levels, your gut health or that complex uh, biome that exists within your gut requires certain ingredients to be complete. And you just have to think about it as if, you know, you were more holistic, more wild, what would you come across? And there's one way we can do that. I, I don't want to pivot us to rewilding, but you know, imagine if I walked out my front door and my neighbors have the best grapefruits. They know I have the best zucchini in my yard, but my neighbors right next door have the best grapefruits. The neighbor across the street has fresh, you know, apples that they're growing, cherries in the other neighbor's yard. What if within your neighborhood, you can still go get your fast food, but conveniently within your neighborhood, we have rewild front yards where people share produce. There isn't a 
there isn't a food problem because we have more than enough going around. And this isn't a, this isn't a new concept, ladies and gentlemen. Victory Gardens, I don't want to bring them up again, but we've spoken about them in the past. The government has been concerned in the past that we didn't have enough food availability. So having your own gardens and, and having this availability of fresh produce and I don't know about you, but I think vegetables and all those, they look beautiful when they're blooming and there's like mm -hmm. a, a vegetable plants look beautiful, especially when they're finished and then it renews itself. So um, I, I jumped right into rewilding there, Michael, but I think what it gives us is that food is healthcare, which means there is a, there is a need for both accessibility through the government or just through our own neighborhoods. Exactly. And, and it's a great pivot to rewilding um, because we've talked about it before for sustainability reasons and, and resiliency reasons, but um, more, I would say, important. I mean, availability is very important, but if the food that's available to you has no nutrients, it's useless as a building block for your body, then there's no point. So it's really important for people to have access to dense you know, rich, um, nutrient dense, rich foods. And when we use that terminology, all it means is leaving the dang thing on the vine until it's ripe. When we say nutrient, all those big words strung together, I can't even say quickly, nutrient dense, rich foods, nutrient rich, dense foods, whatever. All it means is pick it when it's ripe. Most of the ripening, most of the nutrients, most of what makes a piece of food healthful for us to ingest it happens at the very end of its gestation. Um, what happens in today's over-globalized food web is something gets picked way too early in New Zealand and puts on a ship and sent overseas to here. It's not nutrient-rich. It's not nutrient-dense. If you're lucky, it may taste sweet. Maybe. Um, the same thing on the East Coast. You know, I, we talked about California being spoiled and breadbasket and all that and it's like if i eat you know certain produce when i go east i definitely can taste the difference because of when or where it was picked mostly when i, I i'm not going to be able to taste the difference necessarily in soil and chili versus argentina or uh, whatever but <laughs> that's wine that's another story yeah. um but yeah this local sustainable and the whole point of it being local and is that you're gonna it, it's gonna be ready for you when you need it and it's gonna be available to you in in the best way to make you the healthiest person possible make your neighborhood the healthiest possible make your make your community the healthiest possible and it's funny it's like it, you, you were going to pivot into eating happier meats but um, I love that. It's, it's just I, it's making me laugh as I look at it because, well, us first, Michael, because we're a meat as well. So I think what we have to focus on is before we can make our own meats happy, like we have to focus on us as, as, as a meat, right? So we are fulfilled, I suppose, in some ways as, as, a, as a society, but we're really not fulfilled in that food. So as we continue to you know, talk about why um, happy meats matter, it applies to us as well. We're not special. We have the same ingestion process <laughs> that meets that our fellow animals do. So in a sense, you know, take a little, you know, still apply happy meats philosophy to yourself um, because it really is about 
giving you what you deserve, giving you what you desire, and, and, and you feeling satiated. The reason we ingest some of these other foods, I think, in obesity is, exists is because your brain is like, no, that wasn't what I wanted. I still need these amino acids. I still need omega fatties. You know, I need this. And you're like, okay, well, there's a KFC around the corner. You know, so, you know, I didn't need that trans fat. So it's, it's, it's a complex battle with your brain asking for something and you misinterpreting it. I want water. Oh, you want a milkshake? No water. Milkshake works for you. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's just complex. So anyways, let's be happy meats. Where do we, how do we get there for all of us? Well, even before we jump on happy meats, that was such a, that was such a big thing to say there too, about us consciously making informed decisions um because eating the wrong things doesn't help us think about things more clearly right uh and, and so it's hard it's this weird cycle where like if you want to be able to make better decisions it's not just about getting smarter it's about fueling your system properly so that it can fire on the cylinders it already has and you have to think about it. You have to actually consciously choose. And this is because we're in a new environment. Our cravings worked well in an old environment. Okay, you eat anything because you come across it. You're like, oh, yeah, eat it. It's fast. It's quick. And guess what? That was a bug before. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a raw something from nature. It probably wasn't even cooked. Even if it was cooked with fire, it doesn't matter. It's still something raw from nature as opposed to what's coming, like you said, from fast food. I found this. It was moving. Okay, let's eat it. Eat I it. think that was the rule, right? Was it moving? Yeah, eat it. Eat it. Yeah, yeah you didn't want to eat. I don't know. I, we probably no, stopped eating dead. dead things a long time ago. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm we thinking that was the first rule, Michael. I'm thinking that when rules came about for us, I, one of the first rules was, is it moving? Eat it. Eat it. Is it not moving? Don't eat it. Don't eat it. It's, it's yeah, going to kill that was you. The first hand motions, probably the first words. Oh, I love it. Why not? Uh, and happy meats make happy people. We're going to put that on a t-shirt. Oh my gosh, it works. Like happy meat. You'll like it. Try happy meat. We're going to, we're going to, yeah, that's, I, I like it. I, I think, so I think happy meats are free meat. I don't know if it's possible, right? But I don't know where you're going with it, Michael. But for mm -hmm. me, happy meats are, are meats that are coming from a more um, sustainable and free range situation. Yeah. So an, like wild animals that we gather appropriately. So the, the wild cows come in for the milking if they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, free range. Like these animals have as good as a life as they can, as opposed to the slaughter and the, the big gray. Like if you go look on Google Earth, you can see the massive, disgusting farms that these poor animals some of them live in versus the happy cows we call them happy cows that live free range eating green grass um <clears throat> excuse me and they probably experience love in their life and i know it sounds weird but honestly <laughs> you know it, it, all of these animals experience emotions we know that matter-of-factly and we also know from studying humans the complex chemical processes that occur in our brains when we're under stress duress and especially for extended periods of time like we can handle it in moments all animals are designed to do that to handle it in moments for survival but animals that live in extreme conditions and suffering and poverty 
you know, I, I suppose if we had an opportunity to study North Koreans after that place opens up, we will see humans similar to how we see some livestock. And um, it's inhumane. Uh, and then when you eat an animal that suffered all of its life, you're eating its suffering. And I'm not saying it spiritually, <laughs> although there is something metaphysical about that. Mm-hmm. You're eating all of the creosine and that's probably the wrong word it's you know it's that that stress hormone that negative stress hormone that we all cortisol and you know whatever and then and then how the body responds to all that cortisol and so when we say you're eating the suffering you really literally in the biology of that animal you're eating the life of its suffering versus the happy cow when you're eating it it got omega-3 fatty acids from eating green grass little do people realize we always say oh fish oil uh salmon you need to get your omega-3, omega-6, whatever fatty acids. Well, guess what? All Any animal that eats green grass all of its life is chocked full of the same nutrients, is just as healthful. But it's our great. cows are not. They're no. fed corn and they're fed <laughs> fodder. They're not they're even involved. Fodder. They can't digest corn. It's- How would they find corn? You could, and you And we... Again, don't don't lose oh, it because you okay. you know Michael. First, yeah, let's go I, back really quick. <laughs> we 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 did create the cow, right? And we yes. designed it. The human beings designed it to trim the grass. Okay, they designed them to eat the grass, to eat the wild fields, and the and the, the untrimmed, and they, and they, and that's where they. And this is something we created, and yet now we we're trying to create a monster. You know, this is not natural. And it's, it's, these are our pets. These are our first pets, early pets. You wouldn't have this done to your dog. Why do we do it to our earliest pets, which is apparently the cows? Um, I'm, I'm really concerned about that. And, and we really need to find it in our hearts again to, again, give them the best life possible. We all put down our dogs when they're not viable anymore, when it's right. And, and that can be the same thing for the food industry. You let them have the best life possible and we determine what's the appropriate time to say they've had the appropriate life or is it a lottery? I don't know. Just like in the wild, is it random? Do people, do they just get picked up as it goes? That's not for me to answer. It's the food industry. Uh, right now their industries, their, their answers are wrong, but um, oh, I'll I let us love, move on. I would love to see the science behind that. Like at what point is a cow aware that it's going to be slaughtered? And how do you hide that from it as long as possible? And you do, then you would do it like a lottery or something. Maybe who knows? I think I'm thinking of chicken run now. Or you, I think, well, I, honestly, I, one of my dreams has always been, and we're going to eat up a lot of time is a, a, a chicken habitat. I, you've known me a long time. I may have, but a free range chicken habitat. And what would happen is there'd just be a predator, right? There, we, there would be a system that comes and they'd be aware of this predator and, and the predator would come and pick up. And it'd, it'd be, be mimicking be, nature, right? You're just right. using the natural, how it would happen in nature, but. Exactly. You know, chickens it. that couldn't get to the, the, get to the, the, the trees in time. Cause what chickens do in their natural environment, I don't, I don't know if most people know, but when they root, when they, when they, cro- you know, they, they, the roosters call the chickens to the trees to hide for the night. And then they tell them when it's safe to go out and hunt for food. So the rooster is all about calling the chickens to them to hide in the trees or hide wherever they have a safety zone. 
So this is that's about bringing in and sending out the hens, if you will. Wow. And so that's how their society runs in the wild. I only know this because I went to Florida and there was a wild chicken community that's been there for generations. So and they, and they all hide in the trees, right? They call them in. And it was really interesting experience, but in, same thing, right? So you predator, you just create that predator environment. And why not? I, I don't know uh, any other reason why. Well, it may things- profit. <laughs> the only reason why we don't we ever don't do things the right profit. way is because of a because of a, a motive that overrides our better senses. Profit. <laughs> convenience. Convenience, right? Bring back the butcher. So we still have butcher methodology or the butcher philosophy, right? We think that once the local butcher is returned, we've returned to a more holistic way of living and yeah. eating, right? When meet you can butcher, see that pig. Meet the farmer, meet the butcher, know where it comes from. You have a different level of respect and awareness and awe, right? In a way, you really appreciate available. it's gratitude. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about generally, oh, we need to go cultivate a gratitude practice. Why? Because we lost it. I mean, we probably had gratitude in our old societies, in our old systems to a certain degree. You were thankful. You saw the whole pig. You understood that it came from a living animal, right? There was that connection. The children could think about it. So we're talking about food, you know, and now we're saying that it's a drug for people, right? And I, I think that when I say drug, food is a drug for people. It's actually also only because of convenience. I think the same thing. If you had a butcher, if you had a local butcher as convenient as McDonald's, you would probably do things differently, right? The local butcher is gone. It just doesn't exist and we need it back. But yeah. now all of these replacements, so your therapy, because I do think that therapy is therapy. You know, Michael, you know, I'm on the opposite side of therapy as a structure, but you're right. Food is a replacement for that human connection you make. If I go into my local butcher, it's going to take time to chop up that animal. You're getting that human exchange, that human connection. You're building a bridge. I think that you get therapy um, from all aspects of life, including professionals, but also that, that just that connection. But if you walk into a grocery store, you grab your bread, you grab your meat chunk wrapped in cellophane, and you walk out the store, where's any there? You have no psychological and now there's a checkout, right? Automated checkout. So yeah. you don't even have to talk to anyone. Mm -mm. You have zero chance to experience the human condition. No, it's it's so strange. This whole concept of convenience is, is divorced us from our fellow humans. I was just having a conversation recently with friends about this because it's like there's a whole generation of people that would rather order something through an app than walk up to an open window in front of them. And it's like, ooh, okay, that pendulum is swung. We got to see what, what we can do about that. And it's the opposite of what you're talking about. We need to rewild ourselves, bring us back to each other. <laughs> Convenience has really divorced us from humanity, from each other. It's, it's very interesting. Why don't we, um, before we jump into the next one, and thank you, because I'm not going to go, I'm not going to touch any further on the food being a drug and replacement for therapy because you've touched on it as much as I would have. And I appreciate that. And it's something for each of us to examine of our own um, because I have a sweet tooth and that's something I have to deal with. <laughs> um, but let's have a break. Let's hear a word from our sponsor. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. 
Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under our laws. Citizen Do Good values the promise of all of the amendments to the Constitution along with the original core documents. Taken together, they form a framework and an operating manual for our republic, and it provides us the means to change with our times. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes, through the app on the web, or on your device. If you don't feel you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has specialty merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution that helps us pay for production and hosting. Feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. So coming back, um, let's roll forward into the 80-20 rule. <laughs> so I'm trying to, maybe, maybe some of this is solution-y now moving forward, but 80-20 rule, you know, it's pretty good, right? Um, I don't know that I, I just thought of it last night to apply to this scenario and it seems to work. So eat what your body needs 80% of the time so that you can be free to really enjoy savoring that most deliciously unnecessary and decadent 20%. And maybe 20% is too high. I don't know. It's, it's too, I mean, it's tough to say, but I'll give it to you that I like it because, you know, we, we, we are dividing, we're, we're way higher than 20%, but we only have the decadent on the weekends we're trying to limit it to. So I feel like that's almost in line with your model, except with only seven days in a week, we're definitely higher than 20. Yeah, we can refine this over time. Um, but for me, I think the most important thing, there's a psychology in here that I conditioned myself with. <laughs> and it's this idea that, um, A, I try to make everything taste really good. So I use a lot of seasoning. Salt, you know, salt can be your friend as long as you don't have problems with salt. Um, but generally, once you start taking control of everything you eat, and when I say that, it means maybe not eating, eating fewer meals from a box or from a restaurant and more meals where you acquired every ingredient individually as a raw item. Um, so think about like a salad versus a microwavable meal, just as examples. I'm not just the difference between those two things from a processing perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to think of the 80% to be as raw and natural and as close to I'm not saying paleo or anything like that, but it's, you know, it's as least processed as possible. It's as fresh as it possibly can be. And as long as I can eat those really good things, 80% of the time, I can really enjoy taking a break from it. Um, and it's worked well for me. It's been a challenge. It's taken years to implement. Right. And now that we're in COVID, it's a totally different environment. Like in my old life, what, what I would do is we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have meat in the house. And so 
my lunches, when I would commute downtown to work, I typically would have lunch out. And so my lunch was my opportunity, was my major opportunity to eat something consciously, you know, mostly raw, whatever, mostly plant. We'll talk about that. But make sure I'm always getting in my really good meal there um, or even a splurge meal there. And then I'm conscious about what I'm going to be eating at home that night. Um, that whole routine's gone. <laughs> Got to come up with a new one. But I love this 80-20 and the idea that you have to take your medicine before you can have your lollipop. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. And it, it was interesting because we went out the other day with, or yesterday with friends and we only had an order of chicken wings and dessert. And so we, and, and Denzel and I split the chicken wings and we split two chicken wing orders between four people. So it wasn't even a large order. And if we were going to eat, I was going to have a salad. And I was really sad because I wanted that salad really bad. I still got it at the end of the day. Um, but it's interesting, you know, how, you know, I could imagine myself a couple of years ago, never like being in a position where, oh no, we won't get a main course first off. And then I, and then being disappointed about a salad secondly, and then demanding a salad later in the day. So that was really, you know, that's, that's a nice change. But again, I think that's, that's part of that change. And, and so I like your rule because it really tries to say, you know, well, if I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking I definitely haven't hit that, that 80% raw. So it doesn't hurt anytime I feel, well, should I have a salad or should I have a burger? Cause I ask myself that all the time and I should have a salad, you know, I should feel like, oh yeah, if I've had a salad the last four times, I feel a little bit more confident. Mm. Or if I've had that, you know, green sustained, or if I've walked outside to my neighborhood garden and eaten a couple um, yummy uh, uh, peppers that, you know, you feel, you feel like you can have the sweeter stuff or the processed stuff. So take the medicine first. I like that. It's kind of a walk outside, have an apple, something like that methodology. I try to negotiate with myself that way, especially when I'm craving cookies. I'm like, well, you can't have cookies unless you've had fiber. <laughs> you can't have sugar without fiber, Michael. It's not allowed. <laughs> Do you dip the cookie in Metamucil? No, but sometimes I will chug a glass of Metamucil before I eat the cookies. Well, you guys, make, like, I mean, that's good. To get them good. into the fire. <laughs> I don't know if it actually, I don't know if it works to slow the release of the sugar, but you know, well, I, I guarantee it all ends up in the same place. That's the only thing I can promise you. <laughs> That's exactly right. So delivery as, guaranteed. Oh, Metamucil. It's, it does wonders. I recommend it. I can't recommend it enough. And my doctor says, uh, you, you, I mean, you can, you will physically experience symptoms if you take too much of it. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise your body can always use our bodies in this environment can always use more fiber. We generally just don't get enough. I feel very fibrous. So I think the, um, so the sensible diet plan, I don't mm -hmm. know if you're going to share that yep. one day. We've shared a little bit of ours, but that's we're going. yeah, that's next up. So the most sensible diet plan ever, I put the big Royal we on here. We'll see if Ray agrees. We think it's the one that Michael Pollan outlined a few years ago in his book titled In Defense of Food. And it's a simple statement, but it has to get unpacked. The statement goes like this, and I highly recommend the book In Defense of Food if you've never read it. It's, it's fun. He's, it's, it's actually an entertaining read as well as informative. But Michael Pollan says, eat food, period, not too much, period, mostly plants, period. And in there, you know, the first question is, okay, eat food, duh. Well, 
let's define food. So from, from the perspective of Michael Pollan, food you can define for this context as anything with fewer than 10 ingredients. And no, that's zero. No ingredients that your great-grandmother wouldn't recognize. Say like hydrogenated soybean excrement or something gross like that. So you can still eat out of boxes, you know, if you shop in the aisles in between the produce and the other end of the, and the meat, <laughs> everything in the middle is basically in a box, either in a freezer or on a shelf. And you have to start reading the labels. Now, keep in mind, those labels are wrong. Generally, there's very little regulation about what's required to be there or holding people to account. But do yourself a favor and read those labels because once you start not eating anything with more than 10 ingredients or things that your grandmother wouldn't recognize, you're going to just be healthier for it. Um, it I also hear that there's a new book uh, Michael Pollan put out there, Food Rules. Uh, I guess in there he offers more common sense rules for eating. I think there's about 64 of them. It says here, uh, in fact... Um, there are 64, and they're all thought-provoking and some laugh-out-loud funny. I haven't read it yet. That's quotes from the website. <laughs> so first of all, eat food, not too much. Um, you know, we, there is a certain amount of calories that we only need. But the funny thing is, is once you start eating mostly plants, when you eat mostly plants, it's really hard to eat too much. Like they all pretty much come with fiber. And so that fills you up and then they're chocked full of nutrients. So your brain's not asking for a frosty. It's, it's a very fascinating phenomena. Um, <clears throat> and it's not good for the fat, fast food industry. <laughs> so it's bad news for the fast food industry and it's bad news for big meat as well. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you, if you start putting plants in and, and you start sinking more local sources, farmer markets, et cetera, it's a boom for the local economy and we'll climate change. We yeah. have to eat less meat. We just have to, I mean, yeah. Okay. You're going to convert over to impossible meats. That's not making you healthy. We can talk about that another time, but keep in mind all of these meat substitutes aren't necessarily designed to be nutrient-rich food foods to deliver. They're simply a replacement for a fatty burger. Just because it's plant-based, it's highly processed. Um, so that's that grandmother thing in there. Like if your grandmother doesn't recognize it, it probably came out of a factory or a chemical plant. So don't eat it. <laughs> don't. It's not food. It wouldn't be defined as food based on that definition. So I know we're going to run a little bit over time, but we're going to leave you with another little, a couple of little points on this. So only eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And think about mindfulness. Try and introduce, I'm, I'm being conscientious about this in my own, in my own life and, and recent studies, trying to be more mindful about introducing Ray, like to the point you were making that human connection, that human connection is a, is a moment. Um, and it, and it is healthy for our minds. What is also healthy for our minds is for us to slow down and take the time to prepare our foods. <laughs> like if you think about evolution, you think about how much time we've spent on the in the uh, concrete jungle versus the natural jungle, we've been here for very little time. And we're evolved to spend time, invest time with our food to make it a ritual, a ritual in the preparation and in the consumption. And even the cleanup, which is the part I hate 
the most, but be present. It's important for us to be present as we eat. And I'm saying it now through experience because I've been the person who's eating a burrito while working and drinking Mountain Dew at the same time um, to now this person that will turn off the TV and everything and I will sit down with my food and I just sit with my food and my thoughts and I try to focus on what each bite tastes like. What does it feel like? you know, chewing this or whatever that. And then maybe I think about the next meal and how I might change something or whatever it might be. But I try to invest myself in that moment, in that experience. I try to listen to my senses as much as possible and try to make it a ritual. And it's a decision. Like it's a decision I have to make. Every time I sit down and eat, I think, okay, no, let me not put on Bloomberg TV right now. Let me actually pay attention to the meal I just made for myself. Um, so there's something very healthful for us when we engage with our senses and, and take time and not rush onto the next thing. We can have a mindful practice by intentionally um, investing that time in our meals. And eating as its own all-encompassing activity, it can be, it should be. And then when we're sharing it with others, it becomes even broader and more expansive, right? And we get to talk about the meal together. Uh, it's not merely a side dish to conversation or a distraction from performing another task. We should be mindful when we eat or prepare food or pick our produce, right? You keep talking about going to the garden. All I can think about is how mindfully engaging that would be having to walk through and, and, and feel and touch and smell and figure out which of these fruits or vegetables is actually ripe and ready to pick. We were always farmers. We were farmers until the 1900s. That's right. We all were. We all have that roots. No, nobody was special. Nobody had any. When the mass, vast majority of the population, that's where we all came from, is finding that sustainability, finding something to eat, and, and cultivating. And so we can return back to our base humanity, where it all started, and cultivating. I imagine restaurants where you bring your own produce. You just come in. <sighs> You bring That's your, awesome. uh, like, could you imagine like, yeah. say, you know what, I'm going to call chef. it, I'm going to call it just the tip or just the meats, <laughs> right? Just the meat tip, right? And all, all we have is the meat. You bring your own garden grown vegetables and we cook it up kind of thing. Like what a different society we'd have if we were more cultivated, if we were more collaborative in our food responsibility and our sustainability will, will grow. What a great business. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about how good someone could feel having a business like that, connecting people and food. Do you like just the tip or is it the meat? I don't know. It's also stimulating. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going to do us. I think we go out there. Yeah, on a high I don't note. think I can even tie up a closer on that one. You couldn't top that one, could you, Raymond? <laughs> oh, I guess it was your own point. So why should you top yourself? We have been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. This has been a garden of thought. Mm, it's been something, that's for sure. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendugan.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit off the contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We saved the best for last. You are the best and have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. 
Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzly and Studios, Inc.